All right. The book of Romans, please. Romans chapter 5. And we're going to read from verse number 5 to verse number 11 in this section. We have uh, spent the last couple of Sundays just looking at some of the blessings of being justified. And peace, access to God, glory in the future, glory in tribulation, amen. Knowing we can handle our trials. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about the power of God's love. The power of God's love. So I want to point you back to verse number one. Remember that first word there. Therefore, because of being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So everything that's following that therefore is telling you because of what I just told you about Abraham and the the faith and imputation of righteousness and And knowing that you're on your way to heaven, because of that, these are the blessings that you have. Amen. And uh, we have to think about this particular subject, especially, you know, looking at the love of God. I want want you to see that in verse number five. It says, and hope maketh not ashamed. And that's tying into the last thought that we had in relation to the glory and tribulations, how there's three things that we need to consider when we go through tribulations, that there is um, patience being built there. There's experience that God is giving us in his faithfulness. And not only that, but when you trust him, how that you become blessed and you become better. Amen. So experience is, is linked in with that. And then finally, hope, those three things. And hope, of course, like we said before, is not a question mark, it's a period. The world has a hope. They say, well, I hope. That's all they can ever do, the world, is just say hope with a question mark. But a Christian never has to hope with a question mark. Our hope is always with a period. It's a confident expectation, which means when we're hoping in Christ, we're not saying, well, I hope Christ comes through. I mean, my goodness, hope in Christ means that I know he's going to come through. And that changes the way that I look at all of my tribulations and things that I go through. And so it says, and hope maketh not ashamed. Remember we talked about that this morning a little bit, that word ashamed is we become ashamed when we put our faith in something that does not carry us through. The Bible says there's going to be a lot of people ashamed one day. Why is that? Because they didn't trust the Lord. The only way we can not be ashamed is if we trust Him. Amen? It goes on to say, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So why is it that our hope is not ashamed? Because we have the love of God in our hearts. Uh, I think we need to see that the motivation of God's love towards us and that love in us is really what's going to make all the difference for us in how we handle life. And even the rewards that we get at the end of this life. Love is so vital. It really is. It's, it's really a, an undergirding principle that we need to understand. And that's why I wanted to talk about this today. It says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just guide in this message today. There's a lot of doctrine here, a lot of teaching. But Lord, I just pray you'd keep my mind and heart on track to what you want the folks to hear today. And I, I just pray you get glory from it. Help us, Lord, to understand your love. Help us to love like you love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, here we have the love of God. Now, I wish that because God loves me, that I would have that love perfected in me all the time. But you know, that doesn't happen that way, does it? God gives it to us a certain way, and that has to be maintained. It really does. It doesn't change what he's done, but it changed how, how we process what he has done. You see, the Bible says in Jude 20 and 21, it says, But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. So it's like, there's this huge love of God, but the love of God isn't just grabbing you and pulling you in. You have to choose to enter in. You do that when you believe what Jesus did for you. You do that when you believe that God loved you enough to send his son. See, that's why the devil can never enter into the love of God. He's got no chance. So people say, does God love the devil? <laughs> See, the thing is this, folks, when, when we think of love sometimes, we think it's some kind of emotion, like it's some kind of a way we feel about somebody. But that's not what God is talking about here. Sure, it has an impact on feelings, but the love of God is based on action. <laughs> you, you love people and you prove that by what you do, not what you say. And God said too, he says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't walk around to say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? <laughs> he shows you. <laughs> and the only way that you can enter into that love is responding to what God has done for you, you see. And so if you can't respond to it, you're not in his love. You don't understand his love. The world doesn't know the love of God. <laughs> Their love is all eros, it's all... It's all intimate. It's all physical. Or, or maybe even necessary. It could be brotherly in some way. But never agape, never sacrificial, never uh, where it's at a point where it's just beyond human comprehension. Like God showed us in sending his son. It's a completely different thing. So the first thing I want to talk about is the source of God's love for you. Now we know the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, 
And everyone that loveth is born of God. That means you can't truly love right until you're regenerated, until you're born again, you know? So born again people love right. That's, that's supposed to be the example we set. Then it says, And knoweth God, he that loveth not knoweth not God. So if you don't love him, the problem is your knowledge. If you don't love people, the problem is with your knowledge. You don't know God well enough. So that's why I'm saying it's not a feeling. It's not like we're, oh, I just love this. And you see, you need no knowledge for that. But for the love of God, you need knowledge. You need to know God to know God's love. Then it says, for God is love. When you have a statement like that, that's talking about an attribute. That's not just a secondary uh, response of God based on something else. So it's not like God's anger. God's not angry all the time. God's angry because we sinned. God's angry because of the wickedness of this world. And the Bible says he's angry, angry with the wicked every day. But when there's no more wickedness, there's no more anger. So we don't say God is angry. <laughs> he can be angry, but that's based on a response. But when he says God is love, it's the same thing as saying as God is holy. That we call an attribute. That's a part of the very makeup of who God is. Now his mercy is somewhat of a response. See, because he can be a God of love, but there's no need for mercy if there's no sin. But because there was sin, now his love produces this mercy. And the mercy is God's hand reaching out to sinners and saying, I want to give you a chance. Amen. So the love is producing the mercy, you see. But the love isn't contradicting the holiness. And that's why Jesus had to die. You can't just say, oh, I forgive you when there's no justice for the wrongdoing or the transgression. And so God never compromises himself. He is perfect in every way, amen? So it's a wonderful truth when you look at the attributes of God. And so God is love. So we know ultimately that is the source. God is love. If you're going to get love, like we were talking about through this whole book, where does it come from? Down here? No, up there. If you want righteousness, where does it come from? Down here? No, up there. If you want anything perfect, the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Amen. So we know that every good thing, everything that's beneficial to you comes from him. Yeah. And that's including his love. But practically, the scripture tells us, it says, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. In other words, even though God is a source of love in heaven, he has found a way to deliver that love to us through one person of, of the Godhead. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. That's why the Bible says you cannot love right until you're born again. The Holy Spirit of God has everything to do with your regeneration or your new birth. 
So if you're just making a religious decision, I'm sorry you're not saved. You're making a decision of being born again, trusting Christ. That's when the Holy Spirit of God comes into your heart. Now it's interesting, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, or anyways, I'll give you this definition first. The, the term here, given unto us, the Holy Ghost which is given unto us, it means to give to one asking, to have, to supply, to furnish necessary things. Necessary things. So the Holy Spirit is given to you to supply you with the necessary things that you need. That's why Jesus said that it's, uh, it's expedient for you that I go. For if I go not, or if I go, I will send forth the comforter. So he's saying, it's necessary for me, the Son of God in my human form, to go up into glory. Because if I go up into glory, then I'll send the Holy Spirit, and he will give you exactly what you need, not around you, but inside of you. Amen. Amen. So it was expedient. That means it's advantageous for you. The disciples were looking at him and saying, Jesus, we don't want you to go. We want you to stay here forever. And I'm sure he thought, I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> you know, But it's advantageous for you that I go. Now, that would not make sense to me. What do you mean advantageous that you go? He says, it's better for me to go and send you the Spirit. Wow. <laughs> So this is pretty powerful when he says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he has given unto us, or the Holy Ghost. Some people say, what's the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit? <laughs> One preacher said the Holy Ghost, when, you, when you're reading about the Holy Ghost, it always seems to have an action associated with it. It's always doing, he's always doing something. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit is just a general term for the Spirit itself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, What? <clears throat> know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You say, nobody owns me. Oh, yes. You're either owned by God or you're owned by the devil. But you're never owning yourself. And so if you're here today and you're wondering whether you're in charge, I'll just tell you, no, you're not. God's in charge. And it's just best to submit to him. Amen. And so uh, it goes on to say, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to him. <clears throat> a lot of you like uh, Gnosticism. The first century taught that all matter is evil. So your body's just evil. Now, there were two, two ways that they responded to that doctrine. The one was there was a group that they decided to uh, beat their body and literally beat it with whips and so forth because it's evil. And that's the way they thought they were glorifying God. <laughs> Still goes on today. But another group said, well, since it's evil... It doesn't really matter. All that matters is your spirit. And so they would let their body indulge in whatever it wanted to have. <clears throat> and so that was another response. Two extremes, <laughs> you know. Now you need to understand that the, the, the best balance of that is in the center there. 
where the Bible says, the Apostle Paul says that I, I bring my body into subjection. That you look at it, your body as a slave of your life. It ought not dictate your life. But the Bible also tells us that we ought to, the first verse there, it says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. So why he didn't ask for your spirit or soul, he says, I want your body first. Because he knows if you can bring your body into subjection, then your spirit will be the master. But if your body is not in subjection, your spirit will have no impact on your life and you'll just simply, simply be living by the lusts of your flesh. You see, so he said, if you can just give your body, then I have you all. That's what God said. And so in all reality, this idea about just letting your body do what it wants, and Christians today, oh, we live in an age of grace. We can do whatever we want. Well, what's happening is <laughs> the spirit has no impact on your life. You've got to put the body in the slave position. Amen. Then you've got the spirit, which is the master. And then the second part of who you are, your soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, that is tainted with sin. So that is either being influenced by pressure from your body or influenced through your spirit by God. So when he says here, you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. See, if you got a bad attitude this morning, I'll tell you why you do. You're not walking with God. Your spirit has been <clears throat> deficient of what it needs to produce a sweetness in your life. And so you're sour, <laughs> amen, because it's starving. It's starving for what it needs. Your spirit is that part of you that touches heaven. That spirit is a part of you that, that touches God. And when you read your Bible and you pray, that's the part of you that's connecting with God. And if you don't have that connection and the healthy connection, what's going to happen is you're going to have a sour spirit. And everybody will see it. And they'll all know you're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. Wow. But we don't say that, do we? <laughs> we try to be kind. <laughs> doesn't mean just because you put on a smile you're reading your bible <laughs> but a spirit is a different thing so the bible says so let your light shine before men that they may glorify your god which is in heaven light is different than what you do the light is that spirit in you he wants your light to shine then he says that you may do the works <laughs> so you have two people doing the same works but one's being profitable the one isn't because one is being a light and one isn't. Same works. Conformity to religion. Well, that's not what this is about. This is about relationship with God. Amen? And so that's the same way it is with the love of God. The Holy Ghost is given to you at salvation. In Titus 3, 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Then it goes on to say, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's the same terminology in Romans chapter 5 when he says he sheds in our heart, he pours in our heart the love of God. And he's saying, this is what I did with the Holy Spirit to you. I poured on you the Holy Spirit of God. So now you need to let him pour in you the love of God. Amen. 
A lot of people today are very confused about how the Holy Spirit is received. Uh, maybe not you here today, I hope not. <clears throat> but a lot of people think that you can get the Holy Spirit by after your baptism. You get that through the book of Acts, where the Jews, at that point, the Holy Spirit was given to them as a gift after they were baptized. We've got to remember that the book of Acts is a transition book. It's a bridge from the Gospels to the Epistles. Amen? And so you had the Jews receiving the Spirit after baptism. You had the Samaritans receiving the Holy Spirit when the, when the apostles laid their hands on them. No baptism. And then you had, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. The Bible says, and I think I have it here. It says, While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. No baptism, no laying on of hands. <laughs> so what in the world is going on today in churches where everybody thinks he's got to lay on hands to get the Holy Ghost? That's a false doctrine based upon a misunderstanding of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit operated differently as he unlocked the door of the church to the world. It was Jewish at first. They brought the Samaritans in and Peter was present at each one of these because the Lord gave him the keys to the kingdom. And that's what it's talking about. It's not talking about the popery. <laughs> Amen. It's talking about where the Lord said, you're going to be there, Peter, to unlock these doors through the book of Acts. And each time he was, on the day of Pentecost, he unlocked it for the Jews. Then later on, when Philip went to uh, Samaria, he went there, laid his hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Lock number two. Acts chapter 10. Who, who preached that message? Why did God give Peter that message of the sheep coming down from heaven? Why was Peter the one that the angel said, go find Peter and bring him to Cornelius because he had the key? He was still struggling, by the way. To him, it was hard because it was unlawful for them to even be in the Gentiles' house. But God says, what I've called clean, call thou not unclean. So God changed it all. <laughs> and Peter had to change with it. And he, he really had to change with it because he had the key. And that's why while he yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell upon the Gentiles and they received the Holy Spirit of God. That means while they believed. And that's what we refer to in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In whom ye also trusted, talking about Christ, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That means you got saved because you heard the gospel. Nobody here was saved until they heard the gospel. Oh, you know, I had an experience. I don't care what you had. You can put your finger in a socket and get an experience. But that doesn't mean you're saved. You're saved when you hear the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 5, the death, uh, 15. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. That's the gospel, those three parts. Someone told you that Jesus died for you. Someone told you that Jesus spent three days in the grave for you. Someone told you on the third day that Jesus defeated death and rose up victoriously from the grave. And you believed it with your heart and the Holy Ghost came upon you. Amen. That's how it works. Amen. Well, I don't know if I prayed the right words. <laughs> Folks, 
while they yet heard the words, the Holy Ghost fell on them. Now, we may lead a person in what we call a sinner's prayer or whatever, but that's just so you can look back and say, that day is when it happened. But I'll tell you something, many of you were saved before you prayed that prayer. Because you believed in your heart. Amen? Amen. Ephesians, it goes on to say, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And like I tell people, that verse is all commas, no periods. (laughs) It's just, I heard, I believed, I was sealed. All in one process, just like that. Which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means the day that you got saved and the Holy Spirit of God came in you, he sealed you, and he says, I'm going to seal you until the uh, redemption of the purchased possession. So that means from this time to that time, there's no way you can lose your salvation because you're sealed. Why are people teaching you to lose your salvation? You can't because you are sealed. We're given the earnest of our inheritance and we're sealed unto the day of redemption, the Bible says. And if you know something about the day of redemption, which is the rapture, you've got nothing to do with it. The time the rapture happens, before you even know what's going on, you're looking at Jesus in the face. No time to get things right. (laughs) But because you're sealed. And the Bible says, when you see him as he is, you become like him. So that's the process. He saved you, and you're not a lot like Jesus at all. But your spirit has been regenerated. And now you have that spirit of Christ in you. So at least you got the spirit of Christ, but you sure messed up in your head. And your whole life, you're allowing that spirit to infiltrate your soul and and have your mind renewed so that you can become more usable for Christ during this time while you're in this dirty, rotten, stinking body, in this dirty, rotten, stinking world. But we have a great purpose, and that's for souls to come to Christ. And he says, I'm going to do that through sinners like you, and I'm going to show you how powerful I am that through your spirit, and even though you are weak, I'm going to show myself strong. Amen. Amen. It's not a mean trick he's playing on us. He left us here so that we could die in our body, but our inward man is being renewed, the Bible says, day by day. But then on that third part, the body, the spirit, the soul, the soul is progressive, the spirit is immediate. The third is the body. Say, Lord, why didn't you give me the body right when I got saved? (laughs) That'd make my life a lot easier, especially right now. He says, oh, no, I'm going to use that broken body. I'm going to use it to help you. Use it to help you think right and to be right. The Bible says that he that suffereth ceaseth from sin. You're all feeling good all the time. You're going to sin. He says, I'm going to keep some pressure on you, son. That's why he let Paul have the thorn in the flesh. Sin. Lest I exalt myself. Pride, sin. I've left a thorn in your body, Paul. So, I mean, we'll cry about it and we'll complain about the things we have to go through, but we don't understand. The Lord put it there. (laughs) And we got to thank Him for it because it helps us to grow stronger and become more like Christ progressively. But then when our body becomes uh, transformed, that's going to be in a moment on the day of redemption. I've been redeemed, I'm being redeemed, and I will be redeemed. (laughs) 
I was saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And in that moment, when the rapture happens, the Bible says, I'll see him like he is, and my body will be transformed into the likeness of his glorious body. I don't know what that's going to be like not having any knee pain. Just in that moment, I was just like, wow, this is great. (laughs) But, you know, after that, my mind's going to be fixed, too. My emotions will be right. I always say it's like we're, we got this black cloud above our head our whole life. And we're trying our best, but it's just so hard sometimes because of the blackness that's around us. But in that moment, all the clouds gone. Clear sky. What a wonderful, what a great salvation we have. Amen. So we can cry about where we are right now because, hey, I wish I was in heaven. Oh, Lord, please come quickly. Hey, I'm... Yeah, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But a lot of people use that as kind of a Christian suicide deal. I just want to get out of this place. I'm sick of this, God. I'm going to hide myself in my basement until you come again. He's saying, no. I want you to get out there. Be faithful to me. Show them what I can do through a broken clay vessel. Amen. I'll tell you, God can do some great things through us. Holy Spirit of God, it's given to us at the moment of salvation, the moment you believe, and then the Holy Ghost pours love into our heart. He just can't wait to just pour love in your heart. Because the love of God is shed abroad. The word shed is to pour. Abroad means to gush out, to run greedily, to spill over. Amen. Because I just want to fill you up and keep dumping it on you and just fill up your heart and let it overflow. That's what I want to do with love in your heart. But that's not always there, is it? The love of God is a blessing of justification. It's only possible through the Holy Spirit of God in you. Somebody lost cannot have what you got here today. (laughs) The Holy Spirit produces biblical love in your heart. The love of God empowers our hope. It says, and hope maketh not ashamed because... The love of God is shed abroad in our heart. That means if you don't have a proper love of God in your heart, you're going to have an improper hope. You won't hope the way that you're supposed to hope. Slowly but surely, that little question mark gets in there. Well, I hope. I remember I talked to somebody. He says, hey, don't worry about it. The the Lord's coming again. He's going to set up his kingdom. Oh, I hope so. I said, no. We know so. We know, it's not, I hope so. My goodness, you look at the garbage of this world and all the different wickedness you see down the streets and the shops and the cannabis shops and the liquor stores. And can I tell you something? The day that Jesus sits on the throne, they're going to be closed. They're going to be closed. That's a sure expectation. So when you're asked to live like you would be living in God's kingdom today, you think he wants you to walk into the liquor store whatever shops he would close when he comes ought to be a shop that a Christian never enters in do you understand that it's so important we see that we're supposed to live like Jesus is already sitting on the throne of God in this world and you know what we know that we've got different rulers that are behaving badly but you know what he's saying I want you in your heart to have me already throned. And we're playing with him. We're still going to these shops. We're doing these things. 
He's saying, hey, when I'm coming again, they're all shutting down. I'm asking you to live like I'm there. Amen? That's why you don't go to the pornography on the TV or on the uh, computers. There won't be any when he's here. (laughs) None of that. It's all going to be shut down. (laughs) He loves people. He doesn't exploit them. And that's what you do when you're a part of that. You're exploiting them. And by the way, I'm going to share something with you. Every person that you view on that screen, you will see them again outside of the judgment throne of God and they're going to be weeping and wailing and cast into the lake of fire and I sure hope you got something out of that. Because you'll see every face. What is that? (laughs) Let that motivate you. Let that motivate you never, never to do it. Knowing you will see their face again. And they'll look and say, why? Why did you empower me to be like that? Why did you make it possible? Maybe somebody can go out there, one of the ushers go around and... (laughs) I don't know who that is. Hopefully it's not one of ours. Amen. Love. Love is so vital. If you love people, that's a decision you'd make. If you love the lost, that's a decision you'll make. Some kid's really getting it. <laughs> love will empower your Bible. So you know how it says, hope maketh not ashamed? You know what the Bible says? Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible says if you study your Bible right, you won't be ashamed. See, that's a part of your love. That's a part of your love. (laughs) John 14, 23 says, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come unto him and make our abode with him. So there is no love of God in your life without a desire to become obedient in your heart to God. A person that is just flippantly going against the Lord, doesn't love God. But I've heard people that are sinning against the Lord say, I love God. It's not true. The Bible says that if a man loved me, he will keep my words. And my Father will love him. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. See, there's a difference between abiding in Christ and just being saved. Love will empower your gospel witness. Here's another word of shame. Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So that means if I'm loving right, I'll give out the gospel. I'm not going to say, oh, I can't do that. Well, that's just because there's a lack of love. Do you understand? It's not a lack of Bible knowledge or a lack of memorization. It's not a lack of... Um, whatever, (laughs) opportunity. If I'm not giving out the gospel, it's a lack of love. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed. (laughs) Why wasn't he ashamed of the gospel? Because he knew that the gospel, no matter who he talked to, that the gospel was the answer for them and would set them on the best track for their life. And he knew that they wouldn't be ashamed if they trust the gospel. If you're ashamed of the gospel, 
there is something more powerful in your mind and heart than the gospel. And that's what you're putting your trust in. Well, that person, they scare me, or my boss might fire me. Well, you're putting more trust in that power than in the power of the gospel. That's why you're ashamed. You understand? That's where love makes a difference. See, hope makes not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Love is that empower. It drives you to, to study the Bible. It drives you to give out the gospel. It, it, love will prepare you for Christ's coming. In 1 John 2.28, it says, And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So, there are Christians that could be ashamed of him or at his coming. Not of him, but ashamed of yourself. What, what's, what's that mean? How will I be ashamed at Christ's coming? Because I spent my life putting my focus on something that wouldn't deliver. I thought if I just play this secondary Christian idea, kind of play the backseat idea, where I could just, you know, non-committal type of idea, that somehow I'm on my way to heaven, it's going to be okay. But not realizing that all your philosophies and ideas and your lack of scriptural knowledge is going to cause you shame in the end. Because you're putting faith in the wrong thing. That's why if you love God, you're going to study the scripture and you're going to know the truth and you're going to do the truth. And the Bible says, now little children abide in him that when he shall appear. So we're talking about abiding. We're talking about John 15 where it says that the branch uh, abides within the vine. So that means that your branch is supposed to receive something from inside the vine into the branch so that out of your little, what do you call them, buds or whatever, fruit can come out of that. That's abiding. Abiding is that God has a free flow from the, from the root of heaven through his Son by the Holy Spirit into your heart, and then because of that, fruit comes out of it. But many times that's not it. That's why in John 15 it talks about that there's some branches that he just cuts off because they're not producing fruit. It's not talking about salvation. We're talking about production. We're not allowing the Lord to shed abroad in our heart. We're not allowing him to feed us and give us the strength we need to study the Bible and to give out the gospel and all those things we need to do. And so there's nothing coming off the branch. And so the, the vineyard or the husbandman looks at this vineyard and says, hey, that branch hasn't produced any grapes for like two years and all it's doing is taking up space. And that's why the Apostle Paul said that his fear was to become a castaway. <laughs> Lest what he's preached to others, he himself would become that castaway. See, that's what John 15 is talking about. Taking you out of the vineyard. But the Bible says if you abide in him 
and you continue on with him and you allow his words to flow through you and you allowed his power to flow through you and you allowed his love to flow through you, then you will produce fruit and some of it will be 30, 60, some 100 fold. And you know what he'll do? He says, hey, that branch is bearing forth a little fruit there. So he comes with his little clipper and he just prunes you up a bit because he wants you to bear forth more fruit. And the third one there in John 15 is much fruit. So he says, oh, that pastor freeze, I need to take out his knee. Clip. (laughs) Why did he do that? (laughs) So I could bear forth more fruit. Why is he doing things to you? Why is he allowing things to happen so he can bear forth more fruit? Don't look at all these things as a curse. As a child of God, there is no curse for you. Everything he allows in your life is preordained by him. And he knows the thorn you need in your flesh. He just doesn't want to cut off your branch. Praise God he doesn't. As long as he's still whooping you, you know, and pruning you, that just means he, he knows there's more he can get out of you. If you feel, well, God's not really interested in me, though, man... He's going to cut you off. Not from heaven, but from his plan. And you want to know how many Christians are going to be there never having known the will of God? Millions and millions. I think it's going to be a minority of Christians that will actually realize the will of God for their lives. And many of them will be ashamed. But that's what it means to abide in him. Abide daily, waking up and thinking him, allowing his word to permeate your your mind, allowing your decisions to be uh, formulated around principle of scripture. It's all based upon his guidance in your life. That's abiding. When you have a problem, instead of complaining and kicking the dog and getting mad at your wife and so forth, you realize immediately that the Lord has allowed this because you're abiding in him. Amen. You're trusting him. That's what he's talking about. Hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Amen. Love will empower you in trials. And we saw that already. 2 Timothy 1.12 For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He's in prison. Many times he'd say to the people, he'd say, don't be ashamed of my bonds. Some people, oh, because you're suffering and you're in jail, there must be something wrong, Paul. He says, no, no, don't be ashamed of my bonds. What's going on here... He's the reason why I'm in prison. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. See, that's a difference between a mindset of the world and a mindset of a true abiding Christian. When you get to be a prisoner, you're saying these bonds are not from Caesar. These are Christ's bonds in my life. This isn't just the devil having his way. That's why I hate the mentality today. If you don't have enough faith, you know, you know, folks, 
God sometimes allows you to suffer, go through hard things. And it doesn't matter how much faith you got, he's not going to change it. Your faith isn't going to change your hurt. Your faith is going to change your response. That's why I hate that doctrine. When I hear that garbage being taught, that's filthy. You're stealing away from these people everything they need. And you know what? They're truly stealing the love of God. Because they're looking at everything they're going through as some kind of curse that's out of God's control. It's such a lie, such a deception. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, even if you weren't right with God and he allowed you to go through something as discipline, it's still because he loves you. He's looking at you, he says, you know, you're, you're doing something rotten. <laughs> Did he not go to some of these people and says, hey, rise up and walk. Later on, he see him, you know, the sin that you did, don't do it no more. Or you're going to have something worse happen to you. But he loved him. Sinner. Legs taken out of him because he was sinning against God. Jesus comes up, hey, rise up and walk. But don't you sin again. You don't go back there. Or a worse thing will come upon you, he says. See, God does that. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He does it because he loves you. Amen? So the things you go through, please don't get all, don't get a complaining spirit about life and complaining about this, that, and the other. Man, you're just showing that you don't love God. You're not in the word. You're ashamed of him. And I don't know what you're putting your trust in, but all I know is when you see Christ one day, you can say, man, was I an idiot. I had all that opportunity just to trust God and I didn't do it. (laughs) Here I'm at the end and I'm okay. (laughs) Even though I was an idiot. Can you imagine what I could have been if I wasn't an idiot? (laughs) If I would have done what God wanted me to do? Can you imagine how I could have faced Christ if I simply would have trusted him in these areas of life? If I would just been faithful instead of always such a, a backdoor Christian and so forth, why didn't I just do right? I'll guarantee you, you'll hear that all over heaven that day. Yeah. Why didn't I just do it right? Yeah. Why couldn't I trust him? He never gave me a reason not to trust him. But somehow, something stole my heart. I didn't love him enough. And I had the Holy Spirit in me. And he had that bucket ready to pour in my heart. And I said, no. That person did me wrong. No. This life is too hard. If you don't heal me, God, then I don't follow you. (laughs) And the Holy Spirit is just, come on, man. Don't you see what I got here? Poor fill, overflow. Boy, we're seduced by our own bitterness. Seduced by our own anger at people. Hatred of things. You gotta get it dealt with, man. (laughs) Or you're gonna lose the blessings of your justification. I'm not saying you're not justified. I'm just saying you're not gonna experience the blessings of it on this side of heaven. And he wants you to have that now. Amen. Let's bow our heads.
Oh, Christian, important message for us. Important message for us. The Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God through sin, through disobedience to the Lord, through your neglect, your backsliding. The Bible says he's not pleased with you if you're not doing right. Are you, are you more on fire today than you were a year ago? Or you'd say, preacher, I'm not where I was a year ago. I've gone backward. Can I tell you what the problem is? Something stolen your love. Maybe bitterness, mistrust. All I know is it came from Satan. Didn't come from God. God is ready to pour on you. Ready to pour on you. Maybe there's something you need to just get right today and deal with that this morning. I don't know what it may be. Only the Lord knows. Only you know. Maybe as I was preaching, something just came to your mind. You say, you know what? There's something keep me from experiencing the blessings of God's love in my life. I don't love him like I should. And that's why I don't obey him the way I should. And I don't love the people of God the way I should. The Bible says that you love God, you'll love the children of God. Not just love feeling, but sacrifice. You're willing to do anything for your fellow Christians.